Hey, this morning I want to introduce to you guys our guest speaker. Our guest speaker is no stranger to Anchor Church. Uh, maybe you've seen him before, maybe you haven't, but I can tell you this, he's going to come preach God's word, and it will be a blessing to us as a church. Also, I love fun facts, so I got a little fun fact for you guys about uh, our guest speaker this morning. He's a break dancer, so I'm hoping, fingers crossed, we'll get to see some of that this morning. We'll, we'll find out, we'll find out. But hey, this morning, the pastor of Mosaic Community, Community Church down in Joliet, his name is Eric Postuluk. Let's give it up for Eric coming to speak for us this morning. Good morning. All right, that's the after party. We got to get the right music going and maybe something will happen. All right. Well, good morning. Please open up your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. And um, let me just say it is uh, always a blessing to be with all of you. You guys are a sister church. We're all a part of the Great Commission Collective you guys planted one year before Mosaic Community planted, and I have a very special relationship with your pastor, Pastor Ryan, because of that, and just got to see him and his wife at the senior pastor and wife retreat, and good to catch up with them a little bit as well. So um, let's go ahead and pray before we get into God's Word. God, we want to still ourselves before you right now. We acknowledge that we can easily fall into a religious ritualistic mindset where we go through the motions, but our hearts are not in it. And God, I pray that that would not be the case this morning, that I pray, God, that every heart would be open to your truth. I pray that you would open my heart afresh to your truth, God. I am weak, God. We are weak, God. We need your spirit to come and give us understanding. We need our hearts freshly awakened to who you are. Father, I pray that your words would be met with faith, that we would be eager, God, to receive and live out your truth. Lord, would you protect us all from the evil one? We recognize that we are in a spiritual battle, and so we lift up the shield of faith over this service. Father, I pray for any who don't know Jesus that today would be the day that they surrender their lives to Him in faith. And God, would you do abundantly more and beyond all that we have asked. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Well, when you turn on the news, you are immediately confronted with the fact that our world is filled with problems. Our world is riddled with problems, but the truth is the problems aren't merely out there. The problems are also right here in our lives. In each of our lives, we have lots of problems, every one of us. And I wonder this morning, what are the top three problems you're presently dealing with. You're dealing with problems in your marriage, in your parenting, with your parents, siblings, friendships, problems at your job, problems with your finances, problems with your health. Whatever it is, we all have problems. 
But you know, the Bible teaches that there is one great problem beneath every other problem that we deal with, and that is sin. And my question about sin is, why does sin ensnare each of us in such a way that it causes so many problems? One main reason, because sin always provides a degree of pleasure. To live the way God designed life, you have to understand that sin and pleasure are interconnected. But you also have to be careful because pleasure is not inherently sinful. Satan did not create pleasure. God created pleasure. That's why Psalm 1611 speaks of God by saying, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The title of today's message is The Insanity of Destructive Pleasures, Sin. Now, to think clearly about pleasure and sin, we're going to be looking at the book of Ecclesiastes. And I'm learning this morning that you guys have been in a series in Ecclesiastes. This was not planned, uh, but I think you'll find this a complement to what you've been diving into. Ecclesiastes is a book that God wrote through Solomon, a king who had all the pleasures this world has to offer at his fingertips. But not only that, Solomon was the wisest man who had ever lived next to Jesus. And so Ecclesiastes is in the Bible to give you the God-inspired reflections of the wisest man who ever lived who had it all. I want you to notice his conclusions about everything that he had. Ecclesiastes 2.1 I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. He said, living for the pleasures this world offers is vanity. Now, if you want to understand the book of Ecclesiastes, you have to understand how important this word vanity is. It's a key word. It's the key word in Ecclesiastes. It's actually used 38 different times in just 12 chapters. And vanity comes from the Hebrew word Hevel, and Hevel literally means vapor, mist, breath, and it, it carries the idea of something being futile, something being meaningless or useless or pointless, something being vain. 
So Solomon is saying living for earthly pleasure is futile. It's pointless. It's meaningless. It's useless. It's all vanity. Look at verse 2. He continues, I said of laughter, it is mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? Now, if you watch comedies and you listen to comedians and you tell jokes all day long, always trying to laugh about everything, you'll actually find that it destroys your pleasure. Not only that, you'll begin to find humor in darker and sicker things from our world. And then you'll play a part in destroying the pleasure of those who are around you. Humor is a wonderful gift, but it's a terrible God. Humor is a wonderful servant, but it's a terrible master. Look at verse 3. I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart's still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. Now, you can read the whole Bible and you won't find anywhere in the Bible that it condemns drinking liquor. But the Bible does condemn getting drunk from liquor. Depending on liquor for your pleasure destroys pleasure and it leaves you addicted. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said when he referred to addiction. He said, it's an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. Let me ask you to be honest with yourself and with God for a moment. Are you addicted to something right now? Are you addicted to liquor, smoking weed, cigarettes? Are you addicted to pornography? Are you addicted to your smartphone? or social media. Or here's one that people don't think about a lot. Are you addicted to sugar? You know, the food industry refers to sugar as the cocaine of the food industry. And you can get addicted. You'll keep wanting more when you're addicted, but you'll keep getting less. And if you're struggling this morning, tune in, listen in. Jesus has something so much better for you. Now, Solomon continues, and as he does, he elaborates on the depths that he went to in order to experience the pleasures that this world offers. Now, as he's talking here, I want you to notice how often he refers to himself, how often he says, myself. Look at verse 4. I made great works. I built houses. I planted vineyards for myself. 
I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Now, if you are not familiar with what a concubine was, a concubine was a woman that the king had for his sexual pleasure. In 1 Kings 11.3, speaking of Solomon, it says, He had 700 wives who were princesses and 300 concubines. That's 1,000 women that Solomon had for his sexual pleasure anytime, anywhere, any place of his choosing. I mean, from a worldly man's perspective, this is a dream come true. Verse 9, so I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Now, you're saying Solomon sure pursued a lot of pleasure. He sure experienced a lot of pleasure in this world. And if you're wondering right now, where exactly did Solomon stop in his pursuit of it all? Look at verse 10. And whatever my eyes desired... I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Imagine for a moment if you could have anything that you looked at. You saw it and you said, I want that. And it literally was yours. This was the life that Solomon literally lived. He lived the life that people only dream about. And by God's Spirit, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he's explaining what that life was like to you so that you don't have to wonder what it would be like. Pay close attention to his conclusions. After all that he experienced with the pleasures, the countless pleasures that were at his fingertips. Verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. And a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. 
After all was said and done, he says, all of it was hevel, vapor, mist, smoke, futile, meaningless, pointless, useless. It's vanity. He realized that he was striving after the wind. Very vivid picture. He was trying to catch the wind, something you could never catch, but he kept trying. After all that he had gained, he said, I gained absolutely nothing. And that's saying a lot from someone who had it all. Again, this is in the book, so you don't have to wonder anymore, what would it be like if I could have it all? He's telling you, that's why God put Ecclesiastes in the Bible. The theme of the book of Ecclesiastes is uniquely highlighted in this passage here. I would, I would say the theme is, there is no lasting satisfaction apart from God. Stop trying to find satisfaction in this world. You will never, ever, ever, ever get it. You could have 50 times the amount of wealth you currently have, and it would never be enough. You would never be satisfied apart from God. The theme, there is no lasting satisfaction apart from God. You've probably heard the following definition for insanity. Doing the same thing over and over, but expecting different results. You need to understand that sin engages our minds in a form of insanity because we keep getting allured into short-lived destructive pleasures apart from God, but we keep believing that things will somehow be different this time. Everybody in here knows what that's like because we're all sinners. This time is the hundredth, the 500th time I've given into this thing, and it's going to be different this time. And the truth is what? It never, ever, ever is ever. You need to understand that sinful pleasures lie to you. That's why sin in relation to money is referred to in Mark 4.19 as the deceitfulness of riches. Or notice how the Bible speaks about sin that's encouraged through intellectual ideas. Colossians 2.8, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit. You know, the Bible says that we need to exhort one another every day as followers of Christ. Notice why we need to do this. Hebrews 4.13, but exhort one another every day as long as it is called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Or notice how Ephesians 4.22 refers to sinful pleasures by saying, 
put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. What exactly is so deceitful about the desires that sin produces? Sin always, and I don't say always lightly, sin always, 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 always deceives you regarding what is and what is not valuable. Speaking of the deception of sin in his life, Hebrews 12, 16 refers to Esau who sold his birthright, look, for a single meal. You see what happened there? Sin led Esau to value a single meal more than his lifelong inheritance. That's the insanity of sin at work in his life, and we can all relate. In Genesis 37, we see an out-of-whack value system being revealed. In Genesis 37, Joseph's own brothers sell him into slavery for 20 pieces of silver. You see, the value system is all out of order. Their living, breathing brother is traded for 20 pieces of silver. 20 pieces of silver is more valuable to them than their brother. Speaking of the betrayal of Jesus... By one of his own disciples, Matthew 26, 14 says, Then one of the twelve, whose name was Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priest and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. And from that moment, he sought an opportunity to betray him. Now picture this. Judas was one of the 12 disciples. He had walked intimately with Jesus for three years. He watched Jesus teach the most mind-blowing things. He watched Jesus heal blind people. Loose the tongue of mute people. He watched Jesus raise people up to walk who were crippled. He watched Jesus walk on water and by the very words of his mouth, stop a storm. And yet this same Judas who was so close to Jesus, who should have known better, sin had gripped his heart so much that he traded those three years with Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. You see, this is the insanity of sin. I don't value things properly. I'm, I'm, I'm out of whack. I got a deep, dark problem in me. I can't perceive the value of things properly. Notice what God says. In Jeremiah 2.13, my people have committed two evils. 
What are the two evils? They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. They've committed two evils, God says. Have you ever paid attention to what the word evil spells backwards? Evil is living backwards. You don't value things properly. You've got an opposite perspective on reality. Though God is the endless fountain of living waters, when you give in to sin, you prefer broken cisterns that can hold no water. Do you understand what God is showing us about our struggle with sin? You're thirsty. You want to quench your thirst. But instead of going to the fountain that continually bubbles up, you go to this muddy, broken up well that can't hold any water. And you prefer that rather than the fountain. That is a picture of what we do every time we sin. It's the insanity of destructive pleasures. Are you, are you getting a clearer picture of what sin actually does to you? Listen, you got to be clear on this. Get a hold of this. This is throughout the Bible. Sin destroys your ability to determine, to perceive what is and what is not valuable so that you would reject what is priceless and you will chase after what is worthless. So it's no surprise that Satan, who is the sinner of sinners, encouraged Jesus himself to foul, fall down and worship him. Think about that, how out of whack his value system is. He's got the Son of God before him, and rather than bowing down and worshiping Jesus, Satan says, you bow down and worship me. Because sin destroyed his ability to value things properly, he doesn't ascribe infinite worth to Jesus. He doesn't worship him. And in, in addition to that, Satan gathered together all types of people who were ensnared by sin. And rather than celebrating Jesus, the, the long-awaited Messiah, the hope of the world, the Savior, God in human flesh, rather than celebrating him, he plotted to murder him. You see, this is what sin does. The thing that is priceless, you destroy and you run after what is worthless. This is our problem. This is what it means to be a sinner. This is how it harms us. You know, Satan epitomizes what sin does to us. John 10.10, 10, Jesus, speaking of Satan, says, The thief comes only to steal... To steal what? What does he steal? What does the devil steal from you? He steals every single thing that is of value to you. That's what he's coming for. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. 
Now you have to be convinced of something this morning. All sin, brothers and sisters, is destructive. Even the tiny sins are destructive. If you embrace sin, even the littlest sin, you are inviting sin into your life to steal, kill, and destroy what is valuable. And if it's left unchecked, sin is going to destroy all of your opportunities, all of your relationships, all of your mind. It's going to destroy your emotional life. It's going to destroy your physical body. And worst of all, if left unchecked, it will destroy your eternal soul. Why do we talk so much about sin at church? Ah, here they go again, talking about sin. Why does the Bible talk so much about sin? Here's why. Because if it's left unaddressed, like a fire, it will destroy everything of value in your life. Now, let me speak to the more seasoned, mature Christians among us. Mature Christians can sometimes be in the greatest danger of overlooking the little sins. Because you say, well, I, I, I don't have those big sins anymore like the young believers. You know, I, I've, I've overcome a lot of that stuff. But here's your problem. You allow the little tiny sins into your life and you don't think they're that big of a deal because they're not the big sins. You know what? The little sins are more dangerous because it deceives you with a sense of false security. Let me ask you this. If you were in your living room and there was a little flicker of a flame in the corner, just burning, just a little flicker of a flame, how insane would it be to just let it go? None of us would do that. We would, you would say, well, it's, it's not that big of a deal. We would immediately stop everything we're doing, wouldn't we? We would stop everything we're doing, and we would prioritize putting out that little flicker of a flame. Why? Because we all know that it's not going to stay a little flicker of a flame. It's going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and destroy your house. And that's exactly what happens with people who've been following the Lord for many years. You overlook that little sin... And it deceives you more and more, and now it's so big, you've walked away from the Lord. God has better for you. Praise the Lord. He's not left us to be destroyed by the fire of sin. Praise the Lord. Praise God that He personally came in Jesus Christ to rescue us from the destruction and death that sin brings into the world and into our lives. Jesus said in John 10.10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. You know, Jesus came to crush the head of the snake. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared, was to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to lead us out of the deception that sin brings into our lives. John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, 
but will have the light of life. Jesus came to die so that we could be forgiven of all of our past, present, and future sins and enter into a relationship with God now and for all eternity. 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Why? That He might bring us to God. In order to enter into a relationship with God, you have to embrace Jesus by faith. You turn from your sin. You turn from living for the pleasures that are destructive in this world, and you surrender your life to God by faith. And if that's you, you've never come to Jesus. Let today be the day that you call out to Him. You can call out to Him right now. Believe in Him. But listen, that's just the beginning of dealing with your sin. That's just the beginning. Because God loves you, He wants to help you get more and more free. So practically speaking, how do we get free from the daily destructive pleasures of sin? By recognizing that Jesus is the treasure of the universe. Colossians 2, 2 through 3. Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, in another passage, Jesus is telling a parable, but this parable is ultimately about himself, and he's dealing with this valuing. Matthew 13, 44, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. You see what happens when you see the value, you're willing to give up everything else. You're, you're, you're saying, this stuff is worthless in comparison to this. And because Jesus is God in human flesh, and because Jesus was punished on the cross for all of our sins so that we could be with God for all eternity, He truly is the treasure hidden in the field. He is the pearl of great value. So how do you respond? Believe in Him. Hope in Him. Value Him. You, you understand, worshiping Jesus means you're valuing Him above everything else. That's what it means to worship, by the way. 
So whatever you value most at any given moment is what you are worshiping. So the response to Jesus is to value Him moment by moment above all else. That's what it means to worship Him. He has the highest value in your heart. And why? Well, why would you do that? Well, just listen. Logically speaking, He's infinitely valuable. Again, sin is illogical. Jesus is infinitely valuable. Now, get a hold of this. Your pleasure, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to experience pleasure. God created you that way. It's what you pursue your pleasure in is the problem. Your pleasure is determined by the measure of your treasure. The type of treasure that you are centering your heart on will determine the degree of pleasure that you experience. And because Jesus is the infinite treasure of the universe, being close to Him awakens the deepest pleasures that a human can experience. Again, it's insane to try to experience pleasure apart from Him. So getting free from the destruction of sin means fighting lesser pleasures with greater pleasures in Jesus. Stop thinking that God is trying to destroy your pleasure by commanding you to obey Him. He's not trying to destroy your pleasure through His commandments. He's trying to intensify your pleasure. He's trying to maximize your joy by directing you toward Him and away from sin. I'm going to read you a quote. When I first heard it, it was like the world stopped. You ever experienced something like that? Like everything goes in slow motion. And it was like this moment in time with God and myself. And it was like I'd been searching for the answer I was about to read in this quote. And now it was finally intersecting with my heart. Listen to what John Piper says here. Sin is what you do when your heart is not satisfied with God. No one sins out of duty. We sin because it holds out some promise of happiness. That promise enslaves us. Until we believe that God is more to be desired than life itself. Which means that the power of sin's promise is broken by the power of God's. By the power of a promise like we see in Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. 
In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I'm going to invite Andre up to the stage right now. Uh, Andre is one of my closest friends. He's one of our worship leaders at Mosaic Community in Joliet. And uh, we go way back. He's been at Mosaic Community from the very beginning. He's seen God do many things. Our families vacation together. And if there's one thing that I know about Andre is God has given him a unique gift to lead people into his presence. And this is what we need more than anything. So he's going to lead you in a song called Above All Else. This is a song from a while ago. It's the song that I want played at my funeral. It's a pretty simple song. If you're not familiar with it, you'll be able to catch on pretty quickly. But I want to encourage us to pay attention to the lyrics. Very simple, but pay attention and use this song to surrender your heart afresh to the Lord. Use this song to wean you off sin so that you would cling to Jesus more fully. Let's all bow our heads and I'd like to pray over us before that song. God, I thank you that your spirit is moving. Thank you, God, that you're pleased to manifest your presence among us right now. Thank you that we could experience your reality, God. The Lord is putting it on my heart to invite some to stand who've been spoken to uniquely by God's word this morning. Stand so that you could be prayed for. I want to pray for you. Stand if God has been showing you, you, you've been clinging to the wrong things. And today needs to be a turning point. Today needs to be a day where you say, I am turning from that. I am surrendering afresh to the infinite value of Jesus. Let me invite you to stand if that's you. The church is not the place where we pretend that we have it all together. The church is the place where we say, I'm weak, I need help. Let me invite you to stand if that's you. I want to pray for you. Praise God. Praise God. Good. Praise God. Go ahead. Go ahead and stand. There's no shame. Listen, if if God is prompting you to stand, to humble yourself, to be prayed for, don't leave without receiving his blessing. Praise God. Go ahead and stand. There's no shame in that. We all struggle with sin. We're sinners. We had a Savior who needed to die a bloody death. We're that terrible. He had to be crucified for people like us. Praise God. Listen, the Bible says God is opposed to the proud. Proud people will never stand. They will never, they're too afraid what somebody would think of them. They're too afraid. But he gives grace to the humble. Do you want God's grace? Is God prompting you? Stand. Praise God. Go ahead. Listen, God wants to do a new work in your life. He wants to do a new work in your church. Go ahead. Stand.
God's patient, I'm going to give one more opportunity. If that's you, go ahead and stand. Don't, don't hesitate. Let's stand. Go ahead. Praise God. Look at how the Lord is working. Look at how the Lord is working. Sometimes it takes a little bit. That's okay. God is patient. Now let me pray for you. Jesus, you said everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. Thank you, Lord, that you are giving the grace for each individual standing to acknowledge that today needs to be a turning point, that they don't care what anyone else thinks. Lord, would you deliver them from that thing? Would would today be the day that that thing is put behind them, Lord? Let them never be the same moving forward, God. Release them from the claws of the devil. Help them to draw near to you and to believe that you will draw near to them, God. Help them to resist the devil. Help them to be delivered from the insanity of sins destructive and deceitful pleasures. Help them to see that you are the treasure of the universe, God. And Lord, would you help them to think clearly about what the next practical steps are. To live in all of the victory, all of the pleasure, all of the joy, all of the gladness that Jesus laid down his life. I pray that they'd be excited right now, God, about what you're doing, and what you're going to do. Let's the rest of us stand up. Everybody else, let's stand. God, we, we want to worship you. And we pray that you would use this song to be the cry of our hearts. We pray, God, that you would meet with us. Help us to see you for who you are, God. Help us to treasure you above all else. 